Not sure what's happening there. Can you hear me now? Find your Bibles if you would and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to be reading the first 14 verses, but you might want to keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking at some of those and some are around. Thank you so much, choir. It is all about the name of Jesus. Guess who we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about Jesus, but he is the center every time that we come together. Some of the choir almost started swaying there. I don't know if you noticed that, but that would have been a good one. That would have been a good one for, to do that. We're glad you're here today, and we know the Lord has uh, already been at work. Aren't you glad you came today already? Man, me too. I'm glad I made it, and uh, glad to be here, and glad that you're here as well. It is time and preparation for Easter Sunday. Of course, well, we always want the Lord to be at work in our lives. I want to remind you we're doing what we're calling 30 Days of Gospel Conversations. We have several already on our website. Try to keep those anonymous as much as you'd like to share would be fine, but... Uh, we encourage you, if you have a gospel conversation, or if you've had one over the last few weeks, even the last few months, to just uh, let us know. You can tell one of us. You can write it down. You put it to our website. Email us. It could just say, I've had a gospel conversation. Or you could tell a little bit about the conversation. And we'll pray about those very things as well. So we encourage you to seek to share Christ, share your faith, testimony. Invite somebody to church to where they'll come and hear the gospel message. And uh, we think it's important. We will, our goal is to have 30 days of sharing or 30 days of reporting or to have at least 30 people to share, either one or both or a lot more. So, but we need you to participate in that as well. But today as we come, we talk about He's alive and He's working in you. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. You've uh, sat and stood a few times. Would you stand one more time and honor the reading of God's Word today? This is Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified within Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to, Christ, to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word, and you may be seated. Live from Auburn, Alabama, it's Sunday morning. We're glad that you're here today, and we find and we, the Paul talks to us in Romans chapter 6, and he wants you to be able to know that because of Jesus, if we have put our faith in Him, we are made alive in Christ. That He's at work even now, working in us to make us all that we can be. He's working through us so that we might be able to have influence on others and be able to live with, for Him. Paul tells us real living, I mean real living, 
doesn't really begin until you have met and follow Jesus. So we're to look alive, look like we're alive in Christ, not only on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. Our passage declares this particular truth. Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can know that we have life now and forevermore. The fact that we know that we have life now and forevermore gives us confidence for daily living. It gives us confidence for living today, but also it helps us in the, be able to know how we can live for Jesus today. It's reassurance for all of us who have lost loved ones, for all of us who have gone through an illness, all of us who've faced financial burdens or tragedies or hardships, for those of us who need to know and are looking for a purpose in life and want to have the peace that we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we can have that because of what Jesus has done. Now, these verses are bracketed by one word, kind of bookend here in verse 1 and verse 14. You'll find the same word. One almost begins with it and one almost ends with it. And it is the word grace. One word that makes it possible to live for Jesus, it's grace. Now already and earlier in this service, we hope that it kind of set the pace for what's going to be happening today and the days to come as we spend our time with the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us and remembering that the, uh, the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us, Jesus, the Son of God, willing, willingly sacrificed for us so that we might be able to experience His grace and love. So even now, as a part of this service, we want you to have a time of reflection. We want you to have a time of remembrance. We want you to have a time of being able to experience, even now today, His goodness and His grace. He saved you from sin and death. If you come to Jesus in faith and repentance. However, you're not just saved from sin and death. You are saved in order to live a new life in the hereafter and in the here and now. Grace makes it possible for you to be able to live for Jesus every day. Now for those of you who are genuine believers, and I believe that's probably most of us who are in this room, though there is a message for those who do not know Christ and also for those who need to know or need to know for sure and have that reassurance. But you can look back to the day in which you received God's grace. You can look back and even if you can't remember the particular date, you know that there was a time for all genuine believers, we have a story, a testimony to tell in which we know that we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We experienced that grace and you know that you have been forgiven of sins. We were poor, wretched sinners. And the funny thing about that, the more we grow in Christ, the realize, we realize even more so how much or how sinful we really were. But also you can look to the future. You can think about God's grace. It's because of God's grace that you can know that one day you'll be with Jesus in heaven. And when you get to heaven, if Jesus were to ask you the question, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You'll not say, well, I tried to be a good person. You'll not say, well, I never cheated on my taxes or in my business or on my spouse. You will not say, well, I followed the Ten Commandments, even if you tried to. You won't even say, well, I ought to be able to get to heaven because I went to church, because I gave my tithe, or maybe even because you were a Sunday school teacher. By the way, this is a question often asked sometimes when sharing the gospel. Some years ago, I was out visiting with three college students, and we were visiting a couple of other college students on an outreach night. We knocked on the door and went in. Two college students were in the apartment there. We'd just been there a couple of minutes, and we're inviting them to church, or perhaps they maybe had been to the church and were sharing with a little bit more. There was another knock on the door, and it was another church knocking on the same door. 
and they came in to talk with us, and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. But as they came in, we were all sitting down. I don't think at first that they even knew we were from another church. I think at first they thought we were five college students and an old dude. Maybe they just thought I was an upperclassman. But they came in and they began to go through a gospel presentation and they asked the question, if you were to die today and go to heaven and Jesus were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Now I'm thinking these three guys with me, I'm thinking they know, I, listen, I've been with them, they know the answer to this question. But when they got to the first one of mine, he said, gee, I don't know what I'd say. The other one said, boy, that's a hard question. And the third one, she just kind of shrugged her shoulders. Listen, church, if you're in the sound of my voice, if you can hear this, if you were ever asked the question, why should I let you into my heaven? I want you to be able to know the answer. It is by the grace of God and because of the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. But knowing the answer doesn't make it so. Knowing the answer does not get you into heaven. The gift of eternal life is available to all, but it's not automatic. God's grace is possible, but it's only given to those who come in faith and repentance. Grace is the answer. Not that we're going to be asked that question. We'll not be asked that question because it's not whether you answer that question correctly or not to get you into heaven, but only because of that precious gift. I hope that you've accepted the gift of eternal life, the gift that Christ has given today. If not, I hope this very experience, this time that you come in to be a part of this worship service, partaking of the Lord's Supper, uh, choir singing, the reading of God's Word, and what we're talking about even now will cause you to think, this is what I need. I need Christ as my Lord and Savior. Or if you're unsure today, I want you to be sure before you leave this place. But also, if we're going to live a new life in Christ and what He has to offer, we know that it will be because of God's grace. Now, Paul gives three pictures in Romans chapter 6 of what a new life in Christ looks like. If you want to be able to know how we might be able to live a new, Christ, a new life in Christ, well, you've come to the right place because Paul gives pictures and he helps us to explain it. Now, these were pictures that the readers that were in Rome could understand in that day, and they're also pictures that we can understand in our day as well. And Paul knew, kind of like Jesus knew, that, oh, if you could... If he could say a truth and then he could give you a picture of it, boy, you're more likely to understand it, more likely to remember it, maybe even more likely to apply it. So we see some pictures here. And this is the first one. The first one, it's the picture of baptism. Now, Paul has in mind here more than just water baptism. He has in mind in how it relates to our identification with Jesus. In other words, he's talking about being in Christ. We have two ordinances in our church. One of those is the Lord's Supper. We partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a symbol and we remember what Christ has done for us. There's not saving power in the elements. There's only saving power in Jesus. And the other is baptism. And there's not saving power in the waters of baptism. But we understand biblical baptism in three ways. It is by immersion. It is a symbol of what Christ has done for us and the new life we have in Him. And it's post-conversion. It is after someone has become a believer, not before or prior to. Why? Because Paul says in this passage, there is a physical baptism which we can see with our eyes, and there's a spiritual baptism that we cannot see with our eyes, but it is just as real, if not more so. Now, the baptism by immersion in, in the water and out of the water symbolizes the death and the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and it also symbolizes the fact that our old self has been put to death, and we're living a new life in Christ. That's why we don't baptize babies here. It's why we don't baptize prior to conversion, not prior to somebody makes a public declaration that they've accepted Christ. 
Now notice, if you will, in verses 3 and 4, that Paul does not say that it is what should happen. Your old self should be put to death. You should begin a new life. He says spiritually, for those of us who are genuine believers in Christ, even though you may not be able to see it with your eyes, we have been crucified with Christ and our old self buried with Him so that we might have a new life. And every now and then as Baptists, we get accused sometimes of making too much about baptism. And we think baptism is important. It's a relationship with Jesus that is most important. We believe baptism is an act of obedience. But my goodness, it's in our name, so we think it's important. John the Baptist was called John the Baptist. Why? Because he had people come and be baptized so as a symbol of their repentance before God. So it's in our name, and we certainly believe it's important. But even we're the first to say, there's no way baptism saves you. There's no way baptism will be able to get you to heaven. It's not necessary for salvation. But every genuine believer, we believe, should be baptized if for no other reason than that somebody looks at you in the face and says, congratulations, you're a new person and a new creature in Christ. I do believe there's something missing in a person's life, even if secretly or alone with God, they become a believer, they put their faith in Him, but if they've never publicly identified with Christ, there'll always be something missing in their life and with their growth. So we have a picture of baptism, but we also have a picture of a plant. Verse 5 that I read, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, it says, For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Do you see the picture of the plant in, that, in those verses? No, you don't see it there, not unless you're reading another translation. There's a word there, uh, and if you're reading, one of those is from the King James Version to where it says, uh, the picture says, For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His, resurrec of his resurrection. In this case, it's a little more literal translation of the word that is translated united in the English Standard Version. I don't mean to get so particular that I lose you here, but if we can see the picture they saw, it may help us to have a little bit better understanding. Now, they were an agricultural people, but we're not so removed from being an agricultural people that we would miss this. We can get this as well. If we're to be alive in Christ, we must be buried with Him like a seed that is planted in the ground and the seed dies before it brings new life. But we're not just being buried. This special word that means planted and united means that we were buried and put together, fused, linked forever, coined a fellowship. Every word that we could probably think of that has to do with being together with Christ in His death. Our seed becomes a part of His seed. We died with Christ. Well, what happens when a seed dies? It brings forth life. Now, I know that not everyone gets excited about a verse or maybe a particular word, maybe as I do, that has kind of a rich in meaning here. So I want you to be able to get this, and I don't want you to lose because there's a hard time maybe taking it all in. But if you'll get this picture, we're united with Christ, buried with Him, united in death, and in life. And then there's the picture of slavery. Verses 6 through 14 actually have lots of images of slavery. Verse 6 says, No longer slaves to sin. Verse 7, We're free from sin. Verse 9, Death is no longer your master. Verse 12, Do not let sin reign. And then verse 14, Sin shall not be your master. Now, Paul probably used this because slavery was uh, so prevalent in the Roman Empire. At one time in the Roman Empire, there were more slaves than there were freed men. And it could be 
possibly that there were many who were slaves in the church of Rome who were now Christians and they're discovering now their freedom in Christ. But it also may have been that Paul was having them at least think back to the time, particularly since many of them were Jewish in the church who'd become believers, to the time that the the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And then because of God's grace, they could have been perpetual slaves in Egypt or they could have died in Egypt, but because of God's grace, God freed them from Egypt to come to the wilderness and to come into the promised land. Paul gave them this picture of spiritual slavery because they cherish the freedom God gives them. You remember the history of the Israelites? They left Egypt, but that generation, first generation, they were not faithful and obedient, and so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Those over the age of 20, only two were able to walk and be able to experience the promised land that the Lord had. I wonder how many of us are in-betweeners. That is, we've left Egypt. We have, Lord has saved us from sin and death, but we're not quite to the place that we'd like to be living that fruitful, growing life that the Lord has in store for us. I wonder how many of us are going to miss out like that first generation of Israelites who were not able to go and to enter the promised land. The second generation says and lets us know that, yes, it is possible. But maybe we're there and we realize, okay, I know that I'm a believer and I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord, but I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not experiencing that fruitful, abundant life that He wants me to experience. Well, we're wondering how we can get to that place that God wants us to be today. Well, Paul wants to help you to be able to do that. The Scripture does. Christ does today. So we're going to talk about how we might be able to look alive as believers in Jesus Christ. And I think we find maybe what we might see some steps in the Scripture to help us to be able to experience the life and to be alive the kind of life that the Lord would like us to have at least to look alive in Christ. And First one is this, know for sure that Jesus is Lord of your life. Know for sure Jesus is Lord of your life. As a believer, you can know sin is no longer in charge. Three times in this passage, in verse 3, 6, and 9, we find the word know. Because Paul wanted this right those who were reading his letter, and we're one of those, so he, wants us to, they, he wanted us to be able to know for sure some of these things. It's a word that means we can know for sure. Jesus not only forgiven you of sin, but no longer has control of your life. Jesus is Lord and Master of your life. And if you don't know for sure today, as we've already said, we want you to be able to know for sure. We want you to be able to settle the matter. We talked a few weeks ago about fact, faith, and feeling, how sometimes we get those out of order. Sometimes we have our feelings and we let feelings kind of run our life and we're going to Go by how we feel. If we feel down, we're going to act a certain way. We feel up, we're going to act a certain way. Or Sometimes we might even put our faith in the wrong thing, but we've got to be sure that fact leads the way and the fact of who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is and how important that is. Well, fact is found in God's Word must be first and foremost. Our old self has been crucified. Sin has been dealt with. We may not live like sin's been crucified. We may not feel like sin's been crucified. But it has been. Let me ask you, what time does your alarm go off most mornings? Some of you I know earlier than others. Let's pick a time 
Let's say your alarm goes off at 6.15 in the morning. Now, that'd be sleeping in for some of you because you were raised on the farm. And so for others of you, you know, that's way too early. But let's say it goes off at 6.15 every morning, but you get up tomorrow morning at 6.15 and it rings, but it doesn't feel like 6.15. Have you ever been there? If you go, it, goes, it can't be 6.15 yet. Uh, but the, nevertheless, that's what your alarm says. And then on the little morning show that you've got on there in the corner, it says 6.15. Unless you're looking at Columbus, it says 7.15. And you're thinking, thank goodness it's not 7.15. But listen, the sun and the moon and the stars are all holding up its orbit and they're declaring that it is 6.15 in the morning. Everything has been put in place. It must be true even though you don't feel like it should be. Well, the believer is crucified with Christ. The sins are put to death. We're alive to God. Everything the Creator has done, all that Christ has accomplished, has declared to be so. Don't worry so much about how it feels. If you're placed your faith in Him, Jesus is your Lord and He's in charge. But also we find, decide today, Jesus will be Lord of your actions. Decide today, Jesus will be Lord of your actions. First we said that, Jesus is Lord of your life. He's taking care of sin and death. And if you're a child of God, the person that you once were in your sins, Jesus has nailed them to the cross. This we must accept by faith. But Paul anticipated that someone would say, or someone would ask, well, why don't we just keep on sinning if grace covers all of our sins? You remember verse 1? It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Look at your Bible, see how verse 2 says, begins. Absolutely not. God forbid. By no means. An emphatic no, depending on your translation. You know what Paul was teaching? He was teaching eternal security. Once saved, always saved. What, what's the first argument given? You mean that, does that mean that those who think once saved, all the way saved, they can do anything they want and it will not matter? It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to us that you can be saved and then live any way you want and then it doesn't matter. That's because we think human and not biblically or kingdom thinking. Do you remember those pictures that Paul painted for us? Baptism planted in the ground in slavery. Why not keep on sinning? That's like asking, why not live like we're dead or live like a slave? Instead, we should be asking, how can we live this new life, enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ and use it for a greater good. We must decide every day that Jesus will be Lord of our actions. It must be an act of the will. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin, verse 13 says. God has taken your freedom to make choices, but you has not taken away your freedom to make choices, but you can make the right choices. We need to no longer be slave to sin because we are dead to sin. The uh, verse 7 the contemporary English version says it like this. We know that sin does not have power over dead people. Because, see, we've already died to self. You're dead to sin and alive in Christ. Live like a child of the King. When Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, and he called out and he said, Lazarus, come forth. You remember the picture anyway. You know the story. He came forth, been in there for four days, had his grave clothes on him. What's the first thing that Jesus said to do? Take those dead clothes off. What is it that we must do? Stop living as if our sin has not already been crucified. Stop living 
as if we're not already dead to self. Instead, live like we can for Christ as we resist by the power and the grace of God with His help. But we've got to decide that's what we want to do. That we want to live a life that pleases God. And we help ourselves by having the courage, by God's grace and power to choose to please Him. But it also means that we no longer have to carry the burden of guilt. Guilt is not from above. Guilt is something that is from below. Satan wants you to continue having guilt in your life. In fact, I'm going to ask you, if you've got something that you feel guilty about today, I want you to believe in the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. Now, conviction comes from the Lord, and we know that we need to ask forgiveness of that. We've had time come to the Lord's Supper today, and we've asked you to ask the Lord to forgive you of all your sins, those you can name and those you can't even name. But as you do, I ask you to buy faith to remember that yes, the Lord does forgive and guilt comes from Satan because he wants you to continue to live as if you have not been made new and alive in Christ. But then also we find the third one down there, give over to Jesus your plans and your will. Give over to Jesus your plans and your will. You're able to find and follow God's will by giving over or giving up your plans. We need to stop asking God to kind of approve our agenda or our plans. Instead, we need to come and be sure that we have given over to Him uh, everything and who we are. Come to Him with open hearts and let Him write on our hearts. Last part of verse 13 says, Offer yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Now, we often talk about not segregating our week. And that is that we need to be the same person on Sunday that we are the rest of the week, that we need to give all of our week and all of our time to the Lord Jesus. Paul says you need to give all of your body to the Lord Jesus. Give every part of your body, not just your heart, but every part of your body over to Him. Don't offer parts of your body over to sexual sins or pornography or to substance abuse or giving your tongue over to gossip. Don't let your feet take you to places to where you should not go. Instead, offer parts of your or all of your body over to God. How can my mind be used to think about and understand and find wisdom in serving God? How can my hands be used in service? How can my mouth be open to give praise and glory and to be able to build up and to not tear down? How can my feet take me where I need to be? All parts of our body, all for all parts of our body to be used as instruments of righteousness. Do you, do you see the difference here? You see, instead of just trying not to sin, instead of just trying, Lord, let me not do those things that wouldn't be pleasing to you, because that doesn't usually work as well as saying, Lord, instead, let's be proactive in this thing. Let's find out what we can do with all the parts of who we are in every day, in every part of our body, be able to give over to Him so that we might be able to do for the Lord and serve others. You're more likely not to fall into temptation by giving yourself over to God. One of the most often misquoted verses or maybe partially quoted verses is the verse in James 4, 7. You know this verse. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We might quote that one sometimes. You know what the Bible says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But there's a problem with that because we leave out the first part of that verse. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because you cannot do it on your own. Willpower will not give you the new life that you're looking for. Give up your plans and submit to God and start living the life God intended. And then you want to claim God's promises. 
Now this is not a name it, claim it kind of a thing because the Lord never promised health and wealth no matter how good a person you are. We need to claim God's real promises which are better. Maybe particularly the first part of verse 14 to where it says, Sin shall not be your master. Now some take this to mean to tell us don't let sin be your master. But Paul's saying sin is not your master anymore. He's made that promise. So we need to get in the habit and the practice of claiming God's promises. And how do we do that? Well, we need to speak them out loud. Sometimes we need to sing about them. We need to find ourselves in God's Word. We come across a promise. We need to say, Lord, thank you for this promise. I claim this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he needs to come for encouragement. When he says, Lord, when the Lord says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We need to remember that as a promise. He's going to walk with us regardless of what we're going through. But it also becomes a habit and it's practice for us is that we start living like we know the promises are true. That if the Lord promised this, well, then I'm going to, I'm going to live like it's true. I'm going to be alive in Christ. I want to have more encouragement and confidence in living for today. Verse 14 says, Sin is not your master. We need to live like it's true. When the Israelites came to the promised land the first time, they said they were ready to follow God. God had promised to give them the victory over their enemies should they walk through into the promised land. But when it came time to follow the first generation, they were afraid. They did not have faith, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Don't be afraid to live like you believe the promises of God. And then one other we want you to be sure to know, and that's depend on God's grace to bear fruit. Depend on God's grace to bear fruit in your life. In other words, He's he's working in you. He's going to help you to mature, to be all that you can be. And He wants to work through you so that you might be a part of kingdom purposes and part of the work. And sometimes even when we don't see it, don't realize it, we know we can depend God's always working. He's always working in us, and He's always working through us, even when we don't see it right in front of us. I'll let you know and tell you, I'm a fan of March Madness. There are three or four weekends in March, and one weekend usually in April... I may not be able to get all of them, but I want to clear some of my calendar because I want to see the 64 who made the dance, the 32 who made it through the first round. I want to see some of the Sweet 16, some of the Elite 8, the Final Four, and the championship game, if at all possible. Particularly this year, it's kind of exciting. Listen, I think every church in Auburn ought to be full today. You know, (laughs) Romans chapter 2 says, we read it a few weeks ago, God does not show favoritism, but it couldn't help. I mean, it couldn't hurt, could it? It might help. It couldn't hurt along the way. But, you know, Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time and a place for everything. So from 1.30 to 4 today, any emergencies or pastoral care that needs to be taken care of, maybe after 4 o'clock today would be okay. And we have this strange but intriguing tradition that has not happened a long time in the month of March. We throw toilet paper at a tree. Isn't that a strange thing? I mean, if you're not, for us who are part of the Auburn family, we do not consider it all that odd. But can you imagine somebody who hasn't heard of that before the first time they heard of it? You do what? You throw Auburn, you throw uh, toilet paper at a tree. But if you ever go and see it in person, 
I get kind of hooked. Well, there was another tree a long time ago, and it must have seemed very odd to those not in the family of God that the Son of God would place himself on the tree of Calvary and suffer and die in our place. Can I ask you next time you're at Tumor's Corner, or next time you see a whiteout take place after a victory, would you remember the different kind of March madness that takes place this time of year, sometimes in April, when we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ died for us on the cross and three days later he rose again? Remember all that he's done for us and that we run because of the victory, but not to the tree. Oh no, we run from the tree, from the tree of Calvary, and then instead we run to the empty tomb and celebrate that He is alive. And because He's alive, we are alive and have new life and eternal life. And unlike the March madness of college basketball, which goes from 64 to the 32, to the Sweet 16, to the Elite 8, to the Final Four, the March madness of Scripture began with the one who is called Wonderful. And then maybe the triumph at 12. And then the 120 in the upper room, the 3,000 who are at Pentecost, the 5,000 who are outside the temple in Acts chapter 4, and then to the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions and now even billions who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because He's alive. We're made alive in Christ. And the process continues. And He wants it to continue in you. Because we can trust, we can depend on God's grace that He's going to continue to bear fruit. Looking alive on Sunday mornings or any other day of the week has less with how to do with how loud you sing if you stand or sit or raise your hands has much more to do with how you're allowing Christ to live through you. One word of warning. Living for Jesus will make you look alive, maybe even more lively, maybe particularly on Sunday mornings, but also every day of the week. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus who gave his life for us that we've celebrated through the Lord's Supper today. We thank you for Jesus whom we've sung about today as a congregation we've heard from the choir. We thank you, Father, for how your word speaks to us. We thank you that Christ is alive today. May we look alive in Christ. We pray, Father, if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, if there are others here who are unsure, may they settle it today. That regardless of what the past holds, we know that today you've said if we come to you, and we come to you in faith and repentance, asking Christ to forgive us, putting our faith into your hands, our life into your hands, and the weight of our life and the weight of the afterlife, that you'll come into our heart and life. You'll save us. We thank you for that. We pray all of us who are as believers today, that today we may commit ourselves to understanding and knowing and believing what you've done for us. Help us to look more like you every day. In Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.